I'm joined here by Mick Looney, um, a Kerry man living in Limerick, but with a great connection to the subject we're dealing with today up in Mahara. Mick, could you give us a brief outline of what that connection is? Well, I, I was in the building and the installation of the first transmitters. Uh, four technical people came to Mahara on the first week in October 1962. There were no masts or no links or anything, so all that was there was that the building was complete. So uh, every other uh, transmitter, four other transmitters were installed by Pi. But uh, the one in Mahara was a band one Marconi transmitter. Uh, Pi didn't do a band one and the uh, frequency locations that time put a band one transmitter in the west of Ireland uh, that would be furthest away from interference from the continent, etc. So the four of us uh, started to install the sound and vision transmitters under the supervision of a Marconi engineer. Uh, we all had ex-post office experience, so we had no difficulties. And we had the transmitters installed by Christmas. But the microwave link was supplied by the transmitter, which brought the signals from Dublin to the transmitter. And we had no aerials, no transmit aerials, no receive aerials. And urgency arose in that... Uh, Powers that be wanted the transmitter in Cork on the air on Mullaghanish for Christmas. And the only way that could get it on the air was to get a direct signal from Kapoor uh, into Mahara, off air as we used to call it, and feed that into the Mahara transmitter on a very low power on a very temporary aerial tied to the end of the building. Tied to the end of tied the building at that stage. Exactly. So that worked, and our uh, Mullaghanish got on the air for, this was all black and white, by the way, for Christmas 62. So during all that, then, the uh, builders were finished. But there were Norwegian crew uh, erecting the mast, which was a 300-foot mast. And that was behind schedule a bit. So the RT civil engineers built with the builders uh, kind of a temporary mast to hold half the transmit aerials. And we went on the air then into those about February 63. And uh, by degrees then the main mast was built and a gang, a two-man gang of German engineers came to install the transmit aerials. And so they installed half of them on the new mast when it was completed. And the post office was supplying the links which brought the signals from Dublin. And Stepped we, across the country. From Chrysard to Kilduff across to Mahara. Kildoff was just over Killaloo up there and the high ground over Killaloo. Tontina and that area. Tontina, exactly. And uh, all came together and we were on the air then in March 62 on the temporary half aerial and the other half was being erected on the main mast. And uh, by degrees then we changed over to the half on the main mast 
and the half that was on the scaffolding was put up on the mast. So we were on half power on the main mast for four or five months. And then we were on full power and the links into Mahara at about May 63. Right. So just to be, it was a very, te- like I've heard somebody talk about it. We had the famous, I suppose, iconic piece of national infrastructure out the road here with Gardner Crusher. But this was probably the second biggest um, technological project or big national project, this creation of a network of television. And you're saying there, by the time you came to Mahara, it was all the Irish engineers that are basically, from an electrical point of view or an electronic point of view, had kind of built up the expertise and were able to put this in place, didn't have the, the outside consult- consultants, the PI people. So you really took this on yourselves at this point. Yeah, well, uh, uh, PI couldn't supply it, you see. PI had a contract and they installed the, the four other stations, Kipur, Trustmore, Mount Leinster and Mullochanish. And uh, they hadn't, they wouldn't supply band one transmitters and it was the band one transmitters that was required for Mara. So Marconi supplied that, but RT decided then that the intake of new recruits for the transmitters would install it themselves. So you were a new recruit at this point? I, I, yeah, I joined RT from the post office on the 1st of July, 62. And straight into this and project we in We went into to Montrose for, until the first week in October and we were straight down to Mahara. What was that like now in October 1962, Well, Mountain? Uh, it was bleak and we got the very worst fall of snow since in, uh, from December to March 63. We had to walk up to the transmitter several times. Did you walk up from the road? From, from the road up because we couldn't uh, get uh, the car up, the Land Rover. Land Rover couldn't even uh, Land Rover with four wheel drive and chains couldn't even make it. So it was a baptism of fire. We hardly ever got it since, or maybe once or twice that you'd walk up. But on that occasion, it lasted for about 12 weeks. So, what did you feel about well, this newfangled television at that stage we delivered to the people of Ireland? We was were, it worth it? Was we it going to be wondering worth it? what we left ourselves in for. We didn't pay much attention to it because. The post office, you see, were in different staffs at different times. And some of us were in the giant staff, and I was in the line staff, and I was on the railways down towards Bray. So we had a wide knowledge of yeah. the situation. So it all worked out very well. And but, uh, even, but you were still dealing with territory that hadn't been worked on before. It was, oh, it, yeah, it, absolutely. It was, a, a, it was a, a, big, a big engineering oh, task. Very much so. And the next thing then that came on top of us was in, in, in June 63 was the Kennedy visit. Okay. And Mahara played a very big role in that because there was no links to America to get the pictures over in those days. So they set up a plane down in Shannon and set up a temporary link from Mahara to Shannon, the CBS crowd did. And all that stuff uh, covering Kennedy came down the link to Mahara and was extended down to Shannon. So all the the work would say down in Wexford in, in, in New Ross and yeah, all the stuff up in Dublin and, and the address to the doll, the whole lot of it, 
was transmitted down to Mahara. Yeah, well, and, on the link. On the link. And a temporary link from Mahara to, to plane. Shannon. It was recorded on the plane in Shannon, and every three or four hours just flown out to, to the States. Back to, to, to the States. Yeah. So that's how that So worked. that... That, uh, that was a serious amount of pressure. He extended the resources and outside broadcasts and everything, because we were in its infancy, like, yeah. Uh, even the OB people and all that, the outside broadcast people, it was all new. Well, you certainly, and you dived in at the deep end. We dived in, we were in at the deep end. The President yeah. of the United States, that was your first outside broadcast. <laughs> That's right. Never mind an old Munster semi-final or something like that. And he mean, and he was the mayor of New Ross, or maybe Wexford, and uh, the camera crews or somebody uh, disconnected his uh, microphone or stepped on it or something, and his famous words were, we're in not real trouble now, a cameraman has disconnected our microphone. <laughs> so the, the lighting people and the sound people, there was a, there was a tangle between them. Brain. So did that, did that mean a lot of late at night work, or was it with the time difference between the States and Ireland, or what way? Did you well, work at night up no, there as well? We did, yeah. Or what way did you that didn't necessitate uh, at night, because it was live stuff during the day here, okay. so they had to adjust it in the States. But uh, when the, loon, the moon landings and all that kind of stuff started... 19 July 69. Six, we were totally and absolutely working at night then. Yes. Uh, Eurovision used to come in with... Uh, uh, Neil Armstrong from the moon and all the pre preceding things and all the rest of it. And we had the Churchill funeral at that time. Churchill's funeral. Yeah, which was a very uh, <laughs> sensitive situation. Absolutely. So we had armed guards on the place right. in Mahara in case of an attack or anything. Because of the fact because that you might have been transmitting the funeral. We, we, were, we were transmitting the funeral. And, yeah. So RT had security so, up so i suppose we kind of we at this stage now however we are we're 60 years later we tend to take all this telecommunications and the communication of information for granted but you've just mentioned there four or five massive big events in the world and it just shows you the importance of a piece of infrastructure like mahara and how you had to quietly or not how you had to kind of work with that and kind of work um really in in in, in, a, in a very fastidious kind of a way to make sure that pictures of those of those events could get beamed around the world. Absolutely, absolutely. Like, if just two years before, it couldn't be done at all, because there'd have been no transmitters. Nothing, yeah, yeah. So we were very lucky the way things happened as a country. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and was there a sense of that in, in the early... You know, if you take a line in the sand of 1962, before 1962, no television, after 1962, television. Was there a build-up to people, an expectation that television would take off, or... Were people aware of it in the UK or in mainland Europe or...? No, it was just taken for granted, as far as we were concerned. We didn't pay much attention to it. But there was a reception along the East Coast from the BBC. From the BBC. They had huge arrays of aerials on roofs and everything. Mm. And when we came along then, you see, it was, it was uh, terrific for the west of Ireland and most of the country of Ireland. Except the East Coast, they were getting BBC. They had been getting that for getting a number of years. And uh, uh, it was a big deal with the dealers and all, dealers setting up. Mm. Like, uh, we started transmissions, the programming was only a couple of hours a day, mm. a couple, an hour or two in the middle of the day, and then from 6 until 12 at night, right. or half 10. 
and we had shifts at that stage. There was only four of us. It says two and two, two on and two off. Yeah. And uh, uh, then there were the dealers came into their own, and they wanted uh, some kind of signals all day, so as they could set up television sets and all the rest of it. So when you say dealers, you mean people selling the, the selling selling television sets, selling absolutely to yeah. get the population involved. Yes. Yeah. So uh, uh, we started then. Uh, with a third shift, which meant that we were manned in Mahara from nine in the morning till twelve at night, right. seven days a week, okay. and we got what was known as a, a scanner, and that generated a test card. The test card. And we had a gramophone on the con- in the control room, so we played records ourselves generated the test card and broadcast it all day for the dealers. So you had a, an influence over broadcasting yourselves as engineers. That's that right. Very good. Uh, yeah. you, could, you could have had great fun with yeah. that, well, <laughs> your style of our choice of music it, or whatever. It even worked more than that because the first thing that ha- happened is when we got high pressure on the band one transmitter, uh, interfered and started to come in from a big transmitter in Spain. Okay. And right. we had to go had a microphone on the gramophone, and we used to apologise for the the uh, interference, which was caused by atmospheric conditions. <laughs> right. So we had to do that live <laughs> as from, programs as as, as your as Irish program a couple of times a night, and then uh, we got uh, records down from Dublin with some of Terry Vaughan, Bart Mersenim, and others. Uh, with apologies on record, okay. and we played the record, and then we got uh, 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 a slide for the scanner, with apologies for the interference. But uh, as the interference was envisioned, the apology wasn't much good because to be interfered with anyway. <laughs> yeah. So we had lots of difficulties like that. Yeah, teething problems. Yeah. But then, like you say, you were working up until 12. Uh, and so somebody came down that mountain at 12 o'clock or at half past 12, having shut down... Every RTE, night. Having shut down RTE for that part of Ireland. That's right. That's so you right. came down the gates and yes. off the road and you drove in home back drove in here to Limerick back or wherever. to Limerick, yeah. 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 When we had drivers, you see. Yeah. yeah. And the, the travelling time was part of it. Yeah. So we used to be on the 8 o'clock to, to half 2 or 3 o'clock. And the late shift is arrive up in Mahara then before we'd leave. Yes. So it was manned all the time. Yeah. And that continued for, for uh, 20 years, I'd say. Yeah. And yeah. then uh, services were uh, extended in so far as we got uh, RT radio on VHF, right. which was a new vandal system as well. Yeah. Uh, which improved uh, reception and that meant more areas on the mast yeah. and it was fed down from Dublin on the microwave link again and then in 1972 Radio on the Gaeltic that was, on, it was added Came on as well. and Radio on the Gaeltic the, as you know had the headquarters in Costello, Connemara, Connemara yeah. and uh, the Mahara was the main feed for the country for that as well because there was the link between Mahara and Costello okay. to bring up the sound and that was fed back to Dublin and around uh, the, the country 
So Mara had a big bearing in that again. So the massive bearing so for Radio Negrelta. Massive, yeah, yeah. It was the distribution. It had to there was yeah. no other way of it there was no other way for it to come out of Con come uh, out of Connemara. Connemara and there was no way. other way for it to take well there was a landline all right from Galway as a standby. Okay. Into Costello. But also Derry Beg and uh Balning Owl. Uh, were fed from into Mullachanishan into Mahara. Oh, yeah, down Trussmore, then into Trussmore and down to Mahara again, and that was extended down to uh, Castello as well mm. to get it into the network, which mm. came back up to Mahara again. again. So Mahara was at the centre of lots of stuff, you know. Yeah, absolutely, mm -hmm. it was. So then, uh, by degrees at that stage, we were, we were in colour. That's right. And then we had a second TV service. Yes, and RT2 came RT out in 1788 exactly. or something like that. That's right. And then uh, the next thing that happened then was that there were blank spots around the country behind mountains and that. Like the Black there Valley were, down in, 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 yeah, in, in Kerry, often here I'm talking about that. There wasn't any uh, signals. Yeah. So uh, we had, a, well, they called them transposers. You took in the picture from Mahara or wherever the main station was on an aerial, changed the frequency and transmitted it on a different channel. So we were involved in that in Clifton, Castlebar and Ackill Island. And all that was uh, covered by Mahara. So uh, that was probably 15 or nearly 20 years into the the way the network had established when they were pick finding the black spots that's right and trying to kind of deal with them then yeah well the about 10 years and 10 years into yeah, it, 10 yeah. years into it. Uh, uh, there was a few small ones in different places but the bigger ones then like uh, Ackle Castlebar and Clifton were big ones they're big they're yeah. big yeah. and uh, then uh, in the middle of all that the, the studios in Limerick and Galway you had the outside studios the studios then established. and the yeah. studio in Castlebar and they were all fed into matter as well as well and after that then in the when the local radio started and that and communications improved different uh, organizations like the post office and the esb uh, had sites up in mahara for aerials and they had their own buildings and power supplies off the main system mm. to do their own communications and local radio, Clare Radio, have a transmitter right. up there. Yeah. So the thing extended and extended. And then in around after 2000, the whole thing started to go automatic. Yes. There was a whole lot of new equipment. That was the end, so of the likes uh, of you and your uh, type. Exactly. Having to be on shift, having to be on up, shift there. up there. Yeah. And it, it, it meant that, that um, uh, the valve... You see, the other awful thing in the early days, everything was single-ended. Yes. I mean, there was hundreds of valves in, involved in the equipment. Right. And there was only one of everything. And if you get a fault, you were off the air. So it was pressurised for a long time. Yeah. And yeah. It, uh, we called them single-ended systems. Right. So with the new equipment yes. then, they got parallel equipment. And then they got equipment that could take redundancy. In other words, a whole lot of smaller transistorized amplifiers. And one or two of them could go fault and it wouldn't be noticed. Could, so that's how it became automatic, you see, automatic, the whole yeah. thing. 
come back to there with the single-ended system, and I know it was because I know it's part of my own, you know yourself, that I have a connection up in that country as well from my mother's family. Mm-hmm. But I remember as a child, um, the gate down at the road was wide open. And I think it was a kind of a an East Clare destination for a Sunday drive. Oh, when yes, people would come up for a drive to have a look at yeah, this well, new... Yeah, to come in. Come into the actual... Yeah, like, uh, it depends on how many of us there you'd leave them in. Uh, the difficulty about leaving them in is you had to watch them very carefully in case somebody threw a switch or something. They could, you, the whole country could be watching could be. the Reardons or Talca Row or something That's and somebody up in Mahari, if they hit a switch, a young fellow running around, exactly. you could uh, knock out the whole television. And you wouldn't know what you had done, you see, and you, to take you a while to, to localise it. You'd have to put on the Terry Wogan record and, and so, apologise so for So we just have to watch them very carefully. So you had to do your engineering job, take care of all the transmission, and watch young fellas running around well, the place. Be, be, be nice to the parishioners. Yeah. But we always got on well with them. We had uh, uh, forestry people and all, you see, used to come up and down because yes. they were still clearing the forestry. That's right. That's and right. all that kind of thing. The other thing that happened is, uh, now that I remember in the very early days, one Sunday evening there was even... Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, what would you call them, teddy boys or something, but they threw a chain over the main supply Oh. between the gate and the transmitter. Oh, down at the row or the, down at the... In the forest. Yes, you can see actually where the forest yeah. is cut out uh, and it goes all the way all up. All the way up, yes, exactly. Yes. It's 10 kV, you see. 10 it's kV high, line. Yeah. High tension. Yeah. So we had no diesel engine. We had no standby power supply. This was only a month or two after starting. Right. And... Uh, we were out for the whole Sunday evening. Uh, the boys, there was a chain found across the across 10 the kV. Uh, yeah. So the next thing, very hastily arranged was a diesel engine. So we got our diesel engine very quick. Up to the top <laughs> um, and get it going above. Automatic thing, you see. I had a system where you could turn if the mails failed, it automatically went to diesel. diesel and you just saw a flick in the flick pictures. Back and, uh, on again. So it, learning by experience. It was all suck it and see. Yeah. But uh, in those days, you see, things being new didn't uh, it didn't appear to be the same type of problem for people. Yeah. Uh, like all that uh, transposer equipment and all this kind of stuff that we're talking about to uh, fill in the blank spots, that came in from France at the time in boxes. Yeah. And it was all assembled and installed by ourselves. Yes. The masts were built by riggers, which were RT riggers, right. and put up the aerials and all. Yeah. So we very quickly became self-sufficient. Yeah, you know? yeah. again, mm. through necessity. And through necessity. Yeah. And, and That's why it was such a pioneering. It, not yeah. We often think of television and we think of Gabe Byrne and RTE and the studio, but there was an, a parallel engineering thing going on it still goes on I presume at RT there was just as as I said earlier on the second most important probably physical infrastructural development in the country um, in the early days relatively early days only 40 years into the it was even worse in the studios because the cameras and everything were all Mm. valves as well well. everything was you know they'd have to have a a camera and standby and wheeled in if one of them failed and And there was piles of operators then because everything was manual. You see. Yeah. So the, the transmitters were the small part of it, really. Yeah. But the studio end of it was huge at that stage. Yeah. And that was why it took so long to get a lot of home-produced programmes. Yes. They had to buy in stuff buy in to stuff. fill the slots. Mm. Until you and got up to speed. You got up to speed and got the facilities to do it. Yeah. 
Yeah, they extend studios and everything, you see. So you, it's fascinating there, the development of technology from valve technology to top-end electronic technology by the time you finished up, I suppose, your career up on, on, on Mahara. But the other thing that kind of always interests me is you were travelling in and out here from Limerick um, every day or whatever way your work worked. How did the, the environment change, let's say Mahara, Fiekel, O'Callaghan's Mills, Tullab, right back into Limerick? Did that change much over the, those 40 years The real well? thing that fascinates me is that the uh, town or village that hasn't changed at all, that has gone backwards since, is Broadford. Broadford. Yeah, there was petrol pumps and uh, uh, butchers and a guard station and the whole lot. Yeah. Now I go there an odd time when I visit East Clare and there's nothing left yeah. in Broadford. Now Tulla extend, extended all right. Yes. And uh, I don't know how much vehicle extended because when I travel now, I always bypassed Feekin, yeah. you see. Even though, the other thing that I forgot to say to you earlier on was that uh, when we came down first, we had no telephone communication. That's right. Nothing. So there was a post office in Cahir, is it Cahir? Cahir, Cahir, And Mrs. Mrs. Kelly, Kelly Mrs. Kelly, used to yeah. arrive up to the top of the hill with a telegram. She'd come with telegrams? With telegram, please ring urgently. And right. someone would have to go down to Fiekel to make a telephone call. Yes, so she had to come up from Cahar Post up Office up to the top of Mahara? We Mahara, even go the that's right, with a, te a, a telegram. telegram. Oh yeah. my God, oh so Lord. That, that went on for a good while. And then when the links came, the telephone came on the link mm. with the programmes, which was very intermittent. Mm. Uh, it was difficult. So we got a landline eventually into Fiekel. Yes. And uh, that helped us an awful lot. It was Fecal 2 or 3 at the time. That was your number, Fecal 2 or 3. Yeah. Fecal 2 or 3. Very good, mm -hmm. very good. But that was, I suppose just thinking as you, as you talk there about that, um, the towns on your route in and out from Mahara, I suppose it's a bit like the, the nature of the project itself from the point of view of infrastructure. And as was Broadford, it's just when you talk about it there, and we often deal with this on the radio station, infrastructure is a big issue in Broadford vis-a-vis um, sewage schemes, that type of thing, which yeah, has been holding back the town, a huge, or holding back, holding back the village a huge amount. That's right. Um, that's, that's why I It's a good perspective when we see the infrastructure that where they could develop from a kind of a the technological broadcasting yeah. point of view. Um, some villages in this part of the country are still way behind when it comes to basic, basic, basic infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. that even like within the last twelve months has struck me that. Uh, I used to go to East Clare Golf as well with my grandson. Mm. And uh, I started going out to Broadford out that way. And, but that was the only village, you see, because we used to bypass O'Callaghan Mills. That's right. And across yeah. the Black Sticks, as they call the it. Sticks, yeah. And out then, and uh, Fiekel then, the post Bell office. Up Bell and Hinge. Up, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and uh, that uh, we, yes, there was a butcher's shop in, in Broadford. Mm. We used to get great chops there, and you had a <laughs> petrol station and all. Yeah. Uh, just before you turned left for O'Callaghan Mills, yes, yeah. there on the right hand side, there was a petrol station in the butchers. Right there. And there's a sign of any of it. No. And the petrol station that was there is, is, is downgraded. Yeah. There seems to be a shop up in the hill there now, all right. But it's noticeably gone back yeah. in the 60 years. In the 60 years. Yeah. yeah. 
And as you say now, that would explain it, that the lack of facilities and all the rest of it. Because uh, I couldn't understand it. The fact is, it's so near Limerick and everything. Yeah, that's it. Well, that's mm. part of the... I know we're getting off subject here now, but we'll give it a minute. Mm. That's probably... You mentioned Tulla there. That's one of the reasons why Tulla, I think, did so well from a yeah. development point of view. It was so close to Ennis. Yes. But it had the infrastructure in place right. then. Yeah. That helped it a lot in the last round. And it's helping mm. it again. Broadford is still struggling on that that's place, right. basic yeah. infrastructure, the yeah. thing. So, um, you had a long career, so pretty much... I had, but know, I spent a lot of it then, you see. I came down out of Mahra to look after the transposers and radio and the Gael and the rest yeah, of it. Yeah. So uh, I spent most of my time in office in Limerick yeah. and I was going to Carrow every week. Carrow, oh, maintenance nice. And, and uh, go to Ackle, Castlebad and Clifton. Nice. Around the place. Nice place to work in. Nice places well, to work in. Well, the variety was great, yeah, you see. But yeah. you see, if a uh, countryman would... would uh, uh, take it in their stride. Did you, uh, you, you, you're, I forgot to say to the listeners here, you're a North, I may have been the very start, you're a North Kerry man. How, do you, how would you find now the difference between North Kerry and North East Clare, or at that time even in, 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 in the early 60s? Yeah, well, the main difference is, is the difference in the, the, the quality of the land. The land. And the quality of the roads. Yeah. There are an awful lot of straight roads in North Kerry. North Kerry. And green fields. And That's right. There, there's a bog in the middle of it, but it's, it's contained in the middle. <laughs> but, it's uh, contained. The worst place I ever saw oh, that, that, that uh, really <laughs> I didn't think it existed was Connemara. Connemara. I thought you were going to say Amara. Good man, okay, that'll do. When I saw the stones... Like there's yeah. nothing kind of out on these stones. Like, you'd see a little cocks of hay made on top of the stones. And, yeah. You know, it puts it all in perspective. perspective. When you came from the likes of rich, well, rich land of it, the stone, yeah, North Kerry, you know. Yeah, I was yeah, small, it's a in a small way. But uh, the the atmosphere was different in, in, for that reason. For that reason. Plenty of Arab land, whereas these cleared as a lot of mountainy land. Yeah. And very poor roads. Yeah. Now the road from from Fiekel to Mahara. Yes. Is no different than what it was sixty years ago. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And fierce bad uh, turns and twists and turns and, twists turns. and, turns and windy right. windy roads. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Very popular road now at this stage for leisure from a cycling point of view. Yes, yeah, with the lakes and all. Yeah. Yeah. Lock Rainy and the whole yeah, yeah, and back yeah. down into Tulla and the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I suppose, Mick, we've covered a lot there. Now, um, it's been great to talk to you here today um, for this little special we're doing on Mahara. Great to get your perspective on it. Great to get the perspective from someone from maybe outside but with a deep connection to the place. Um, I'd like to thank you very much on behalf of Scarif Bay Community Radio um, for doing this. Um, very insightful and some very good um, information given there on kind of the early days, especially of um, setting up what was um, an extraordinary project in a lot of ways and a project we know this day are at this point take for granted in a lot of ways. Thank you so, very well much. Well done on that. <laughs> Thank you. And I, I'd like to say that uh, it's a terrific thing for the Scarif Radio to do. I think it's a huge uh, historical event for the parish. And uh, there's a bit more that could be de- developed on the roads and in the buildings because all that had existed when we arrived. Yeah. And there are a couple of parishioners one of them is still involved and the other was involved from the very beginning altogether. They might say a few words for you. Yeah, we'll try that. We'll try that. Thank you very much. Thanks again, Mick. Thank you.